Core, the Bible podcast number 53, Sowing, Weeding, and Doing Good. Well, welcome to the Core of the Bible podcast. My name is Steve, and I'll be your host as we explore the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form. As you may know, it's my belief the core of the Bible message consists in principles derived from the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. And these include the topics of kingdom, integrity, vigilance, holiness, trust, forgiveness, and compassion. Today we're going to be exploring the topic of vigilance and how the act of maintaining the purity of our heart and our actions requires constant vigilance and continual grooming. I'm going to read the passage out of Mark 4. This is from the Amplified Bible, so it has a lot of extra definitions. This is verses 18 and 19. Yeshua said, And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. So this is the parable of the sower. And these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries and the cares of the world, or the distractions of this age with its worldly pleasures, and the deceitfulness and the false security or glamour of wealth or fame, And the passionate desires for all the other things creep in and choke out the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So in this parable of the sower sowing his seed, Yeshua explains that the seed represents the word of God. And he describes the conditions of the hearts of those upon whom the seed is sown. You see, the seed being sown among the thorns represents those individuals who receive the word of God but their hearts are so overcrowded with worldly cares and other ambitions that the seed cannot grow to maturity. It gets choked out and it can't bear any fruit. So if we're to reflect on our own lives, how much of our time and attention is spent on the thorny distractions of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and passionate desires for other things besides the kingdom? We need to remain vigilant that the weeds and thorns of these other concerns do not overcrowd the truly important and impactful things that surround the kingdom, such as hearing and understanding the word and bearing fruit. So this process of God sowing his word in the hearts of believers is commonly misunderstood to be a one-time event. It's believed that once God's seed is sown, that that work is done and the seed will either grow or not, depending on the condition of the soil. However, This parable of Yeshua, along with other scriptural insights, teach us that if we receive the word gladly, it's up to us to continue to sow that good seed for the harvest to grow beyond that which was just sown initially. So for a farmer to have a continual harvest throughout the year, they must be continually preparing the soil and sowing the appropriate seed at the appropriate season. Even in ancient Israel, there were multiple harvests throughout the year depending on the crop. First was the barley harvest, which occurred at the Feast of First Fruits during the week of unleavened bread in the spring. Then came the first of the wheat harvest, which took place at Shavuot, or Pentecost, at the beginning of summer. And finally, the richest and fullest harvest of the other crops took place at the Feast of Ingathering, or Tabernacles, in the autumn. Immediately after the autumn Feast of Ingathering, the work of replowing the fields and planting for the spring harvest would begin again. So each of these seasons indicates a different harvest for a different crop, but for that to be taking place, there must constantly be new seed being sown. So just like the farmers preparing the soil in their gardens, we need to constantly churn the earth of our hearts, ensuring there's sufficient compost and nutrients to receive what's planted so the seed can successfully multiply and grow to its fullest capacity. In Galatians 6, Paul writes, Don't be deceived. 
God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. See, sowing to the Spirit means that there are choices that need to be made each day. I think it's pretty evident how we sow to the flesh, but sowing to the Spirit is all about receiving continual seed throughout each day so that we can remain focused on the kingdom and conduct our lives with integrity according to the Word of God. For us to be able to do so, then we must have a continual input of the Word throughout each day. Consider how much time you may be spending on social media or watching television or being involved in worldly aspirations. In reality, none of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but they can easily become time sucks that draw our full attention away from living and according living according to God's word. In fact, a good indicator that one of these things might be a negative activity for you would be that if you're engaged in it and you lose all sense of time until you snap out of that engagement, you may be getting pulled further into the weeds that can choke out the word. Now, if these are your primary interactions with others within the context of your world, then you may be suffering from a lack of good and nutritious input for your spiritual life. The digital age that we live in provides us many alternatives to be in the Word throughout each day. Besides just Bible podcasts like this one, there are more significant Bible apps and audio Bibles that can help keep you in the actual Word without having to be sitting or reading or studying all day. Think of how much time you might spend driving throughout the day, or exercising, or doing redundant chores around the house that don't require a lot of concentration, things like ironing, or cleaning, or mowing the lawn. Well, I regard these types of activities as idling activities, where you might be physically active, but your brain is kind of sitting in an idle mode. Instead of popping on the TV, or listening to the news, or scrolling through random videos, why not instead listen to an audio Bible on your device while you're doing these types of things? There are lots of free options out there with various narrators and versions of the Bible to choose from. Perhaps you have some good, doctrinally sound worship music that can help keep your mind focused on God and His gracious mercy towards us. You see, using those times to their fullest helps to keep your spirit engaged with God. And I've found that it becomes much easier to receive personal and private direction for challenges I might be facing when I'm interacting with the Word in these various ways. Another indication that may demonstrate getting choked among the weeds is to consider if you're primarily a consumer or a creator of digital media. As believers and image bearers of God in this world, we have the ability to use and to create informative engagements with the things and people of this world for God's glory and for the furtherance of the kingdom. Now, social media can help spread God's word through written articles and photos and videos can be created to explain how the Bible has relevance for people today. As a personal example, one of my goals with the coreofthebible.org is to continue to build a multi-tiered approach to sharing the information in these articles in different platforms whether it's through written articles or weekly audio podcasts, and now also through videos. However, through all of this, I'm having to be very selective with how I approach each of these areas, as it's dangerously easy to become consumed with editing and posting and monitoring multiple platforms in an effort to maintain effective engagement. I don't want to get lost in the weeds of the process to where I'm losing effectiveness in the content. I'm just trying to keep things 
as simple and to the point as possible to maximize the value to each reader, listener, or watcher of the content. So when we consider all the various ways we receive information input throughout each day, we need to be intentional and purposeful with the time that we have so that we can maximize our spiritual growth. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the source of life. In a metaphorical manner of speaking, King Solomon, as the writer of Proverbs, indicates that our heart or our inmost self-awareness is the source of the quality of our life. And that source is sometimes compared to a well of water. Now, this type of metaphor would be readily received and understood in ancient times, especially since life in a desert or wilderness environment is not possible without water. The quality of that water depends on how we maintain that well. Is it overgrown with poisonous weeds? Is it unprotected from animals that can trudge through and muddy its waters or destroy its flow? Is our heart becoming defiled through the things on which we constantly focus? Well, Yeshua even takes this metaphor further by saying that whatever is in our heart is what spills out of our mouths. In Mark 7, he says this, And Yeshua said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So guarding our heart, then, seems to be a concern that we should not take lightly, and it should prompt us to take the appropriate time to strategize how to maintain the soil of our hearts at all costs. In our American culture, at least, we seem to have lost a sense of just how impactful the constant bombardment of worldly information flow can be to our lives. And it seems we're even becoming addicted to always having a music playlist going or having a television on in the background. As believers, we need to ensure that the well of our heart is filled with pure and nutritious water, not the potentially poisonous and unprotected muddy water of the world. It's our individual responsibility to guard our hearts, and that means to protect what we allow to influence our hearts, because whatever is in there is what will ultimately come out through our speech and our actions, as Yeshua taught. It's just like the old saying, garbage in and garbage out. Well, why not instead turn that saying on its head by changing it to purity and goodness in and purity and goodness out? Well, even saying such a thing has the Pollyanna-ish overtones and seems awkward and simplistic. But is it really? Or is it just that our natural inclination has already become so jaded that we find it difficult to identify with what is good and right about human nature and living according to the positive and kind admonitions of God's standards? You know, an interesting bit of Bible trivia relating to textual interpretation centers on a specific New Testament verse that has had a defining impact on believers over the last two millennia. And it has to do with the name Christian. So for some context, allow me to read a passage out of Peter's first epistle. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, 
giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? But if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So we can see here contextually that Peter's encouraging the believers to have good conduct at all times because this honors God. Now the passage with the textual consideration I mentioned previously is actually in chapter 4. So I'm going to read it in the Young's Literal Translation because even though it's kind of awkwardly phrased, it still brings out more of the clarity of the point I'm about to make. So in 1 Peter 4, it's verses 15 and 16, and he says, For let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as an inspector into other men's matters. It's like being a busybody. And as, and if, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, and let him glorify God in this respect. So let's look at some interesting commentary on this idea of suffering as a Christian. Ellicott's commentary has this to say, he says, Peter purposely uses the name, the Christian name, which was a name of derision among the heathens. It is not, as yet, one by which the believers would usually describe themselves. It only occurs twice besides in the New Testament, in Acts 11.26, where we're told of the invention of the nickname, and in Acts 26.28, where Agrippa catches it up with the insolent scorn with which a brutal justice would have used the word Methodist a century ago. And of course, Ellicott's writing this in the 1800s. So contemptible was the name that, as Renan says, well-bred people avoided pronouncing the name or, when forced to do so, made a kind of apology. Tacitus, for instance, says those who were vulgarly known by the name of Christians. In fact, it's quite an open question whether we ought not here, as well as in the two places of Acts cited above, to read the nickname in its barbarous form, Crestian, with an E. The Synatic manuscript has that form, and the Vatican has the form Crestian. And it's much harder to suppose that a scribe who commonly called himself a Christian would intentionally alter it into this strange form, Crestian, than to suppose that one who did not understand the irony of saying a Crestian should have written the word with which he, with which he was so familiar. So the Cambridge Bible Commentary has this to say, The occurrence of a name which has played so prominent a part in the history of mankind requires a few words of notice. It did not originate with the followers of Christ themselves. Interesting. They spoke of themselves as the brethren, as the saints, uh, as those of the way, those who took their own way, the way which they believed would lead, to, lead them to eternal life. And by their Jewish opponents, they were commonly stigmatized as the Nazarenes, the followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the city out of which no good things could come. The new name was first given at Antioch, shortly after the admission there on a wider scale than elsewhere of Gentile converts. Its Latin form, analogous to that of Pompeiani or Mariani for the followers of Pompeius or Marius, indicated that the new society was attracting the attention 
the attention of official persons and others at Antioch. The word naturally found acceptance. It expressed a fact. It was not offensive. And it might be used by those who, like Agrippa, though they were not believers themselves, they wished to speak respectfully of those who were. Soon it came to be claimed by those believers themselves. The question, are you a Christian, became the crucial test of their faith. By disowning it, as in the case of the mildly repressive measures taken in these very regions by Pliny in the reign of Trajan, they might purchase safety. Now the words now before us probably did much to stamp it on the history of the church. Men dared not disown it. They came to exult in it. Somewhat later on, they came to find in it, with a pardonable play upon words, a new significance. The term Christiani, or follower of Christ, was commonly pronounced Crestiani, and that, they urged, showed that they were followers of Crestus, that is, the good and gentle one. Their very name, they urged, through their apologist Tertullian, was a witness to the falsehood of the charges brought against them. Here's another quote from F.F. F. Bruce in his commentary on Acts. This is a short quote. He adds the following. He says, Crestus, which means useful and kindly, was a common slave name in the Greco-Roman world. It appears as a spelling variant for the unfamiliar Christus or Christos. In Greek, the two words were pronounced alike. So, just for a little mental hypothesis here, what if, in the great span of history, believers were being chastised and ridiculed early on not for being Christians or followers of Christ, since people unfamiliar with the scriptures would not know what a Christ was, but instead were being ridiculed for being Christians or do-gooders? Non-believers could certainly identify those individuals, and believers faithful to their calling could definitely be accused of that since they were instructed to follow the good doing of their Lord and Master. Here's some examples. In Acts 10.38, it says, How God anointed Yeshua of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. In Galatians 6, Paul writes, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. 2 Thessalonians 3 says, But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. 1 Peter 2.15 says, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. It's one of my favorite verses. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Now, of course, I would not be dogmatic about this name identification, but it does raise, in my mind, an interesting concept and an emphasis that may be lost in our modern understanding of that word. Christian implies that one believes a certain thing, while Christian implies that one does certain things. Which one do you think would have been more derogatory? The word Christian would have, and indeed did, identify the early believers as do-gooders based on the fact that their Messiah was always doing good. So what does all this sidebar about the Christian name have to do with the influence of our hearts? Well, getting back to our main focus, this would mean that the content of the heart would have to have good intentions planted there, and that believers would have to be acting out that goodness based on the overflow of their hearts, as Yeshua taught. You see, without constant attention, 
the garden soil of our hearts can be quickly overrun by weeds. And when it's overrun by weeds, it will become unfruitful. And we cannot do the good things that we are called to do. It's not about what we believe, but what we do. We must weed the garden at all times to ensure that as the seed grows, it's clear of any other obstructions to the light and moisture that it needs. The weeds can block the light and consume the water of the rain and irrigation meant to nourish the seed for maximum growth. Removing weeds can be hard work, and especially if we've neglected to review it on a regular basis. I think it's always good to remember that we need to mind the gardens of our hearts with vigilance. And when we do so, we'll be honoring the master gardener by maximizing the return he's planned for the seed that is continually being sown in us. Well, once again, I hope I've been able to provide you some ideas and concepts to meditate on further. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, be sure to visit corethebible.org to read daily blog posts on these topics and to find out more about the message of the Bible reduced to its simplest form in the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. Do you have questions about today's topic or comments or insights you'd like to share? Feel free to email me at corethebible at gmail.com. If you're watching the video on YouTube, you can leave comments in the, in the comment section below. Thanks for your interest in listening today, and as always, I hope to be invited back into your headphones in another episode to come. Take care.